we know the primary message of this book of Galatians. We've been through it so many times. Uh, the entire letter has this common theme, this common message. It's Paul is calling these Gentiles back to the true gospel. The Gentiles of Galatia, who have been misled, mistaught by false teachers, specifically Judaizers, who are corrupting the gospel. Paul is founding these Gentiles in the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No works of man are required for salvation. Can't do anything to add, to improve, to make grace any better. It is finished. Today, even under that umbrella of the common theme and message of the entire book of Galatians, we are going to shift gears this morning. Uh, we are going to see the direction and the, the, the message of what Paul's bringing us this morning in just three short verses. Uh, they are going to have a different nuance, a different direction. However, I want you to hold this in mind. It, this message, even though it changes gears, it still falls under this common message, this greater message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, no works of the law required. It's under that umbrella. It's under that, that understanding. So keep that in mind. Uh, here we are, Galatians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 13 down through verse 15. Let me read that for you. I'd like you to follow along as I read. <clears throat> the Word of God says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And there's your cannibalism. Sincerely, seriously, this is the word of God. Don't forget, this is the word of God. Here's four points, three short verses, four points. Four points we're going to follow along this morning. You were called to freedom. That's in the very first part of verse 13. Number two, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's the next part of verse 13. Number three, serve and love one another. That's the last part of verse 13 and verse 14. And then verse, or not verse four, but point number four, do not consume one another. That's verse 15. That's going to be our track. That's the way we're going to go this morning, starting right into this outline. Number one, you were called to freedom. Now, Paul begins, and is, actually, let me just back up for a second. It has been lovely to see how God has ordained and orchestrated this service as we've shared together about the household of God, the unity that we share together. This has come out in the way that we have sung together. This has come out in the way that we have prayed together. It has come out in the way that we've shared communion together. And it's the foundation which Paul builds this next argument in. He starts in verse 13, midway through that first phrase, he starts with a common expression that's very familiar to us at this point, more family language, brothers. Super important. He uses this term, brothers, something like eight times in this short epistle. Brothers, brothers, brothers. In fact, one of those eight times, he qualifies this word brothers by inserting previous to that false brothers, identifying the fact that there are some who appear to be one of us but aren't one of us. But talking about this concept of brothers, this is that family language together, to, uh, together in this letter. The term brother, 
as we've said before, this is biblical language that communicates the unity, the commonality that we as brothers and sisters in Christ, the household of faith, share together. We are in this together. We are the household of faith. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a biblical way in which it is appropriate for us to greet one another. And I know I said that a few weeks ago. I'm reiterating it this morning. This is a good way for us to greet each other. Brother, sister, considering and looking at each other in this kind of a way. We are in this together. This is about that unity that we share. The other important and obvious implication of this greeting of brothers is that Paul views these Galatians as brothers. That might sound super obvious, but that's an important thing to look at in light of the massive, the the hardcore, harsh accusations that he's raising against this church. These are brothers. Remember some of the tents that we looked at in previous verses. They've not yet done this. This is still something that's yet to come. They are deciding, should we be making these decisions regarding circumcision and the law? Should we be going that way? If we look back in the same chapter to verse 2, it talks about the same kind of idea. So this is important. These believers, these brothers and sisters in Christ in Galatia, have not yet rejected the truth. But they're being persuaded to do so. They're being influenced to do so. And they are considering... Actively, should we exchange this gospel message, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and is it appropriate, this is what they're being persuaded to do, to add works of the law? Paul's saying, don't you dare do this. This is another important qualification. If they should make this decision to follow the law and to add it to grace, they're going to prove something. They're going to prove that they aren't brothers. It doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation. It means they never were. But the other important thing that we have to notice, just in the whole message that we've seen throughout Galatians, Paul is confident that they know the truth. He is confident that these are brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're being misled. They're being persuaded. And so as much as he's trusting in the Lord to be faithful to them in their calling to salvation, he's also recognizing, I have a duty. I need to confront them with truth, and he's working in regards to that. Uh, This again, again, as I said, is not a loss of their salvation. It's an evidence that they never knew him if, in fact, they embrace works of the law. It's in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Again, one that is foundational to everything we've been looking at through through this entire book, but it says so much about what we're looking at here. In verse 6, it says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What's the different gospel? Plus works. This is important. This isn't an addition to the gospel. This isn't an improvement on the gospel. This isn't the gospel at all, which is what he says in verse 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Take this back to chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And throughout this entire letter, we recognize the fact that Paul has used this expression of freedom a lot, extensively. It's come out a tremendous amount. 
We are no longer slaves to sin. In Christ, we have been set free. We are free. We're no longer under a system that requires us uh, to work in order to be saved. We're freed from that. We've been set free. And again, this word freedom is a common expression that Paul uses all throughout this letter to express what it means to be out from the works of the law, to be set free in Christ. This is especially true in chapters 4 and 5, where we've spent so much of our time recently. The idea is that we were formerly slaves to the law. And when we think about what it means to be a slave to the law, consider what the law is. It was a system by which God set for that a system that God set for his people to set them apart from the world. They were to be a unique people, a peculiar people, a holy nation and people among the nations. They were to be set apart, which by the way, this is still true of us as the church. It's just not under the ceremonial law. We've been set free from that. The system Uh, a system that revealed their sin. It reveals our sin. The law exposes the fact that we're incapable of making ourselves righteous before God. Anyone who honestly attempts to live by the entire law to meet every requirement, every standard of the law, will rapidly learn we're incapable of meeting God's standard for holiness. We can't do this. It's impossible to meet God's standard on our own. The correct conclusion when we look to the law and we attempt to live by it, I can't. If this is God's standard, I'm guilty. The book of Romans very plainly shows us that. We've seen that many times through our study in Galatians. But here's the irony in all of this. This is not exclusively true, but this is true of the Jewish people by and large. This is a general truth, particularly the time of Jesus, the time that Jesus was on this earth. The law had become a system that the Jewish people completely misunderstood. There were religious leaders who had misrepresented it and had made it a standard by which we earn our way to salvation. We earn salvation. They believed that they could follow the law as a set of rules. And that if you lived by them, you could earn your way to heaven. These same Pharisees, Acts 15 are importing this mindset into the gospel, which has now been brought to the Gentiles in Galatia. It was a works-based system of salvation. This is important. Think about freedom. This was a system of slavery, bound under that law. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the fullness of time had come. This is the Christmas message, guys. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. More family language. The problem is that these Gentiles in Galatia have received the true gospel. They had received the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through missionaries like Paul and Barnabas. There were others, certainly, who brought that message to this region, but they were the forerunners. They were the ones who brought this. And this is why Paul speaks to these Galatians, and he says, we're brothers. We've been set free together. In unity, we have been redeemed, we've been justified, we've been made righteous before God in Christ. We're brothers. 
But now false teachers have come to this infant church and taught that there is still more that must be done in addition to grace in order to be saved. Grace isn't enough. That just seems backwards. Like even just speak those words, grace is not enough. And yet this was true in Galatia. This was true of the Judaizers who were proclaiming this message. And this is still true in so many who are in the church today. We will proclaim a message of grace, but we feel compelled that we must add our own works. This is not the message that Paul is proclaiming. These false teachers taught that they were still required to practice the ceremonial law in order to be saved. Particular matters. We see in chapter 2, verse 11, there was a particular discussion that he related to the in the, the interaction, actually the confrontation that he had with the Apostle Peter regarding dietary laws. Remember that? And, and what's proclaimed is all of this is free. All of this is acceptable. But for someone who grew up under the Jewish law and under those standards, that just seems so backwards. Like, seriously, am I going to eat a pork chop? How can I do that? That literally, for some of them, would cause them to like literally wretch. That's just inconceivable. That's unclean. For things that are so common to us, things like a barbecue or seafood or a cheeseburger, doesn't work. What's most notable in the book of Galatians related to the ceremonial law that's being dealt with in regards to these Judaizers and that Paul's addressing here was circumcision. We know that. We've seen it so many times. And as we see this, we recognize the fact that it seems like what these Judaizers were proclaiming to these Gentiles is before you can receive the grace of Christ, you have to become a Jew. You need to live like a Jew. You need to become one of us. You need need to be a proselyte in regards to these things. And then there's another matter that comes out in the ceremonial law. He talks about it in chapter 4, verse 10, and that's regard to the Sabbath and ceremonial days or the festivals. They were requiring them to live up to these standards as well. So what's Paul's response to all of this? In Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by which... Or let me read that again. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So he's talking about their paganism, their background. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to, you want to be once more? You know, something popped to me this week in a way that I hadn't noticed even when I taught through this previously. Do you recognize in verse 8, he's saying to these Gentiles, you, use, you formerly served pagan gods. To go back to the Judaic law, the ceremonial law, is the same thing. It's of the same caliber as going back to paganism. Don't do that. Paul's entire point, you're free. Brothers, freedom. Brothers, we're free. God does not require works of the law in order to receive salvation. This is super important again. It doesn't mean upon salvation, there aren't works that come that flow out of regeneration of new life in Christ. That's a different discussion completely. But don't think for a minute that there's something you can do to add to grace that will get you salvation. That's Paul's message. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now this is the message to the Galatians who are considering being influenced to go back to the law. Stand firm. Hold your ground. Stand in the grace that you know. Stand in your freedom, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Slavery in contrast to freedom, the key word that we're looking at in here. Brothers, freedom. God did not call you by his grace in order to have you do good works in order to get saved. You hear that? God didn't give you grace that you had to put more on top of that to get saved. That's not how it works. God's work of salvation is entirely of God's work. We've said this more than once this morning, but rest in the words that Jesus proclaimed on the cross. It's finished. That's not just a declaration of saying, I'm done. I'm played out. It's paid for. Grace, it's done. It's all there. It's completed. God's work of salvation is entirely of God's work on your behalf in order to save you. All you are commanded to do. You're commanded to do this. The majority will not obey. All we are commanded to do is believe. To have faith. Salvation by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Now these words are abundantly familiar to you. The majority of the people here who have been here consistently probably have these words memorized. I want to read them to you this time, and I want you just to listen to them, that they might saturate your heart in just a unique and a different way than the way we've looked at them for the last several weeks. Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, no one will be justified. Which leads us to our second point. Brothers, we're free. Do not use freedom to indulge the flesh. So that very first portion of verse 13, foundational. Summary of everything that preceded it in the book of Galatians. Now, if we could use that analogy, Paul steps on the clutch and he pulls it into a different gear. Let's talk about another implication of this reality. Do not use freedom to indulge the flesh, which, by the way, I just realized for everyone under the age of 30 or so, you don't know how to drive a stick. It's okay, but you get the analogy, right? Right, okay. Everything we've seen in verse 13 seems very familiar as far as the larger message of Galatians is concerned. It's all foundational. But here in the middle of verse 13, Paul shifts that that gear. He introduces a warning related to freedom. Brothers, freedom, but here's a warning. There's a warning regarding this freedom. And this warning will flow through the rest of today's passage. This warning is just going to continue to flow through the rest of these three verses. Verse 13b, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You guys, 
This is a truth we've touched on just because of the necessity of the way we work through this book. It's important to qualify these things. But here what we're seeing is Paul's really bringing us to this place now. Paul tells us that there's a danger in allowing your freedom in Christ to flow into self-indulgence. You hear that? Just because you're free, that doesn't give you a license to throw grace on the ground and stomp on it. We recognize there's still responsibility in this. Let me read this again, verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You're free in Christ. Yet do not allow this newfound liberty to drift into a different issue. The liberty that is spiritually unhealthy. A liberty that is unglorifying to Christ. A liberty that causes us to say, I love Christ, but I'm going to do whatever I want. A liberty that will bring harm to the spiritual walk of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Family language. To your fellow believers. John MacArthur addresses it this way. He says, in this context, flesh does not refer to the physical body, but to the sinful inclination of fallen mankind, the former self, whose supreme desire is to do its own will and to satisfy its sinful appetites. It is a synonym for sinful self-will. Pause for a second. He picks up the quote a little bit. I pick up the quote a little bit later. Christ does not give us freedom or give freedom to believers so they can do what they want, but so they can, for the first time, do what God wants because they love him. We're now free to do his will. You hear that? Super important. Paul's point is this. We have been saved from both sin and its consequences. This gift is entirely of grace, not of our own doing. Therefore, more than ever, we must be on guard that we do not return back to indulge our flesh, the sinful desire within us, which we have been saved from. Peter talks about this a lot. Just one portion in chapter 2 that addresses this. He says, Peter says, Live as people who are free. Common language, different apostle. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Wow. Do you see something? It's perplexing, isn't it? It's not a contradiction. Many of you know what I mean when I say that. We are free to be servants of God. We were once in slavery, bound under the works of the law, bound under our sin nature. And now we have been set free, we've been liberated, and we are servants of God himself. And because we love him, we obey him. But even what we do is not earning our salvation. These are the works of the new creation that has taken place within us. We are new creations in him. Yes, salvation is free. Grace alone to all who believe. And this literally means that your salvation is not based on on what you have done in the past. It's not based on what you did today. It's not based on your actions last night. It's not based on the terrible things you will do in the future as a result of your flesh. There's no action you can take. There's no action you have taken. There's no action that that you will be a part of that is too great for God's grace to cover. Past, present, future. There is nothing you can, 
have, or will ever do that can outdo what God's grace has completed when it was finished. You can't. And you guys, this is so important. For some who are here and who are sympathetic to the gospel, but maybe you've just never placed your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior from sin, one of the greatest arguments that I hear of is is people who say, but you just don't know what I've done. You don't know how great my sin is. You don't know what I did in the past. You don't know the life that I had in my past. You don't know the things that are going on in my life right now. That's the glory of the message that's being spoken of here. That's an implication of it. Grace covers it all. Your work, even in sin, is not too great for grace. Incredible. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 and we could have a whole side spin onto this, and we could look at the grammatical tense of what's being spoken of here that doesn't come through very well in the English. And we know this passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But part of the tone, part of the tenor of this is, is that when we come confessing our sins, we're forgiven. Why? Because it's already paid for. It's already done. It's not that we're doing an action that earns us forgiveness in that moment. It's as if we bring that and God says, yeah, I know it's paid for. It's finished. It's complete. It's done. The greatness of grace and the newfound freedom we have in Christ is no license, on the other hand, verse 13, to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Just because you can confidently say, I know grace has paid for it, it's paid for it all, there's nothing I can do to undo that, that doesn't give us license to tread on grace. Do not use this freedom to indulge your flesh. I don't know how else to say that. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 addresses this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Liberty brings us freedom to walk in newness of life. Number three. Another gear. I don't know what gear we're in. Let's just say we're in third gear. Serve one another. This is a big bite out of this short little section of Scripture. Last part of verse 13 and all of verse 14. Now, we alluded to this aspect of freedom just a moment ago when we talked about some of the implications that people abuse their freedom, their liberty. But the remainder of this passage really zeroes in in a different aspect. Okay? So under point two, in second gear, we were talking about don't let freedom be a license to indulge the flesh. Here's another implication. And on the other hand, don't let freedom... Be a license to run your brother over. Love your brother. Serve your brother. Maybe we could summarize what we're going to read here in verses 13 and 14 this way. And this is another one of Brian's grammatical paraphrases. 
Because it ain't all about you. Family. We're brothers and sisters. We are the household of God. We are one. This is the visible church here in Bethany Baptist, Dollar Bay, Michigan. As we have a duty, a responsibility, as those of you who are members of this church, we have covenanted to one another to care for each other, to love one another, to grieve with one another, to build one another up. We have a duty to each other. This is expressed here, and it comes out in this concept of your liberty. Look at verse 13, last part of it, and then verse 14. But through love serve one another. This is to the brothers, by the way. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Interesting correlation to the law, by the way. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the glory of it all. We are not saved by our works. We can't earn it. We are free from the ceremonial law. We are free from everything else that is not particularly spelled out in the word. Believe it or not, there are matters of life and decisions that we can make that we don't have exact detail about what we are commanded to do. We have freedom in those regards. This is very, but on the other hand, there are very specific moral commands given to us in the word that we need to be faithful to. We could go on and on about all kinds of specific moral commands. We know that we're not to be drunk with wine. We know that husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church. We know that there's all kinds of information about the kind of sexual moral life that we're to live and how we're to be set apart from the nations. And we could do this on and on and on throughout the understanding of what we are commanded, what we're instructed to do as ones who are free from the law, but we're instructed to do these things out of obedience and love to Christ. There are many matters of the word that are not definitive on the other hand. You ready? In those matters, we're free. Which is really hard when you're the kind of person that says it's just easier when there's a list. It's just easier when I can find a verse that at least I can proof text and say, I know I can or cannot do this. But sometimes the answer is you're just free. You're free. These are matters that are as far, excuse me, these are matters as far as obedience to Christ and the word are concerned. We are not commanded to do them or to not to do them. I tried to sound like Mater there. We're free. But though the word of God gives us freedom, we may find our actions might cause others around us to stumble to struggle. How in the world can he do that? How in the world do they feel that that's okay? I'm struggling with this. And and here's an important qualification. Culture has an incredible influence on these unspoken matters of Scripture and the freedom that we have in Christ. We might live in a different continent. We might just simply live in a different part of the state and have different views on some of these matters. We might be surrounded by a certain group of people and that are a part of a bigger culture. The bigger culture might feel like this is okay and there's not an issue at all, but because we have aligned ourselves and because these people are near and dear to us, because this is our church family, we have a duty that might be different than if we were in a different congregation, if we were covenanted to a different group of people. But here's the important thing. It ain't all about you. That's the message here. 
freedom is not all about personal rights. It is biblical to say that our freedom should be regulated by the needs, the struggles, and sometimes even the consciences of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Paul's starting to talk about. This is because we're family. Let me read this again. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because it ain't all about you. For the Galatians, the context seems to point to these exact matters of ceremonial law. There are people in this, fa- in this visible church there in Galatia. There's multiple churches. We know it's a region, but you get the picture of what I'm saying. And the matters, uh, matters that some might be struggling with. Matters such as dietary law, the barbecue, the lobster boil, those cheeseburgers. Oh, those are good. We see very plainly there were things about the Sabbath. Should we be worshiping on the Lord's Day on Sunday as we're worshiping here today? Or are we still required to do something on the Sabbath, on Saturday? Should we practice things like the feasts? Should we, be facts? Should we be practicing the Passover? Can we honor Christ in the Passover? Our trust, our reliance, our dependence is completely on him. But shouldn't we, because we're of Hebrew background, some of these people who are coming in as Judaizers, we can still honor him in these things. Boy, they're free from that. But is it still good? Are we responsible to do these things? I'm struggling with these things, some might say. This is an important qualification again. It doesn't mean that any of these matters should be looked at to say, if I do these things, I get saved. That's not what Paul's advocating. He's talking about people who recognize it's all about grace, but are these things I need to be doing? And if you're saying, I'm free in these things, and you're looking at your brother or sister in Christ, and they're struggling in these things, you have a duty to those people. You have a responsibility to them. For other communities that we see in some of the epistles, we can look to the church of Corinth. Clearly, that church, different culture. Think about that. Different culture. They weren't struggling with the matters of the law in the same way. They were struggling over matters such as meat sacrifice to idols. Hmm. Paul says, your brother, your sister, you might be free there. It's just meat, but you have a duty to them. You need to consider how you do that. In our time and community, we have other issues. I probably spent more time writing and erasing, writing and erasing in this section. These are the kind of illustrations, and I'm not saying it to protect myself. I'm saying these are the kind of illustrations that get me in trouble. And I'm saying it this way for this reason. Because I'm going to give some of these illustrations, and some of you are going to sit there and say, how shallow. I can't believe Brian would even use that as an illustration. It shows that he's really a legalist. And some of you are going to say, of course, we are responsible to those things. Those are matters of obedience. The reason I say it that way is because that's the point. Do you hear it? That's the point, that there are people sitting here right now who have covenanted themselves to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as this local church, who have varying opinions on some of these matters that we are free in. That's important. Some of us struggle because we see these as black and white matters. Sin. Mere mentioning some of them will cause you to struggle. Others will view, the, view me as being shallow and weak, amazed that I might even allude to these matters as potential sin. All right? You want the examples? 
important qualification. I was struck by the fact that there's examples I'm going to give you now that 10 years ago we would have talked about differently. When I was a child, I would have looked at these very differently because culture changes, but truth does not. We have to remember who we are in freedom. I'm not coming down on standards. I'm just making points of what we could see. The responsibility of the use of alcohol. But we're forbidden to be drunk. What is considered appropriate dress or appropriate dress for our worship services? How do we recognize the Lord's Day? Should we be participating in sports? What about work? How about recreation on a beautiful, sunny, beautiful, sunny summer, February afternoon? What about tattoos? When I was a kid, there were questions about even being seen in a movie theater. I remember very plainly that when we would have church families come into our home, particular church families, the deck of cards were hidden because it was a stumbling block to those families. I remember very particularly issues of radio stations that you listened to, and it was not okay to listen to that, or you better make sure other people don't know that you're listening to that. This actually crosses from today into days in the past, but it's illustrating the point. Illustrating the point. How about high school dances and proms? Should that be appropriate at a wedding? All of these, there's freedom in them. But some people's consciences are bound up in different ways. What's the understanding in this? When you come to matters such as this, this is not a a concluding list. This is not a, a terminal list. It ain't all about you. It ain't all about you. As a pastor in a particularly small, closed, very visible community, there are many things that in Christ, in regards to the word of God, as a pastor, that I'm free to partake of. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I can do these things. I'm not bound by the law in regards to salvation or even obedience in regards to these things. But many, many years ago, I surrendered a lot of these issues, a lot of these practices, not for my sake, but for the sake of all y'all. But not just you guys, the community that we live in. Because everybody knows what everybody's doing everywhere in this town, and it's a matter of testimony. It's not that I look at matters like this and I say, ooh, if I do this, I might jeopardize my salvation. No, it ain't all about me. That's not making me a legalist. That's making me someone who's more concerned in serving his brother or sister in Christ. Please understand those things. Because of my love for you, because of my testimony in in this community, these are things that I'm free to do, but I've surrendered my liberty to do them for the sake of love. That's what we're seeing here in this passage. Here in Galatians, Paul brings these matters back to our Lord's words when he was asked, what is the most important commandment of the law? That's in Matthew 22, verse 37. And Jesus answers their question by looking to Deuteronomy 6. And this is how he says it in Matthew 22, if you kind of got lost in that circular description of what's happening here. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and prophets. What's the relevance of this command and Paul's instruction to the church family regarding matters of freedom? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is your personal freedom more important to you than the needs, the weaknesses, the struggles that your brothers and sisters in Christ deal with? Are you more concerned about your needs or their needs? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. I just almost read verses 7, 8, and 9, but I think all the way through 12 is appropriate. This is what it says. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Our freedom, our liberty, it isn't all about us. Have you considered how your actions in freedom affect your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the gear Paul's in right now. Your freedom is not all about your rights. It's not all about your freedoms in Christ. Your freedom in Christ means you are now compelled to obey Christ and to serve your brothers before yourself. Verse 13 says, Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leading us to the last gear. Do not consume one another. A.K.A. cannibalism. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The context, the message of Galatians, we know it really well, and it's not about ferocious lions in Africa. It's not what this message is about. And to my knowledge, there is no historical, hysterical, hysterical would be a good word, but there's no historical data that tells us that cannibalism was an issue even in paganism in the region of Galatia. It's not what he's talking about. The problem that we see here in Galatia is with brothers and sisters in Christ who were divided, who were fighting, who were tearing each other apart limb by limb over matters such as what we've discussed. Matters of freedom. They were destroying, tearing each other about. They were, they were consuming one another. Alexander Strauss says this in regards to this passage. Their conduct was more fitting of wild animals than to brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is another amazing shift in this progression of this letter. Paul has passionately confronted the false doctrine of grace plus works. 
And now he confronts the practical reality of those who are on the other side of the fence. Think about this. He's talking to those who are considering, who are being compelled, persuaded to leave grace and add law to it. But apparently, there are other people in these congregations who embrace freedom. He's saying, you guys, it ain't all about you. You might be free, but you've got to consider these other ones who are struggling with these issues of the law. And your actions are actually causing them to stumble into what? Grace plus works. And the way he describes this is they're acting more like wild beasts, eating one another alive. Why? Apparently, they're more concerned with themselves than they are with the needs, the weaknesses, and the struggles of their church family. And so here are some key principles that I think as we wrap this up, this is what we need to recognize. Key principles that we need to consider when we see these issues of freedom in our life before we act. Well, number one, you better make sure, based on the authority of the Word of God, that you really are free. Don't assume Look to the Word, look to your teachers, look to ones who have discipled you, to look to the authority of the Word of God and say, am I free in this regard? Does God's Word speak to these matters? Another question. The Word of God might not address it, but Christ might not be glorified in it. It might glorify you, it might give you pleasure, you might feel you have freedom, but Christ isn't glorified in that. And then I think number three, How do these actions and these freedoms, these liberties that I have, how do they edify, how do they serve, how do they show love to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Because we are a family in him. Galatians 5, verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 